Welcome to the Grace Baptist Church podcast for Sunday, March 20th, 2022. Today's sermon will be from Hebrews chapter 6, verses 4 to 8. If you'd like to follow along, please go to gracebaptistchurchnc.org, click the current sermon link at the top, and click today's manuscript. Welcome to Grace Baptist Church. Go ahead and turn in your Bibles to Hebrews chapter 6. And really we're going to be in in verses 4 to 8. But I want to go ahead and read uh, verse 4 all the way to verse 12 just to keep us in context. And I'll go ahead and give you the title of the sermon. The Danger of Apostasy, colon, A Warning for Christians. So let me begin um, before we pray, and uh, and I'll read the text in just a minute, but right before we start, but let me go ahead and begin by saying that our passage today is one of the most debated passages in in the Bible concerning um, eternal security. In other words, can a saved person be lost? Or to put it another way, can someone who's been born again, regenerated through the power of the Holy Spirit, be lost and fall away from Christ. And there are many who use this passage to say, yes, this is obviously the case. But I disagree, and I think we would disagree as well, because we do not believe that the Bible overall teaches that, a, that one who has been born again has been powerfully regenerated by the Holy Spirit that then can fall away. We don't believe that that's what the... the the Bible teaches overall, and that's, that's pretty clear. However, I do believe that these warnings are for Christians. I believe these warnings are, as we will see, I think, God's means of grace. And this warning comes to our life, that, and when we hear these warnings, we are spurred on to love and to good works and not to go there. And not to go there. And I must say that I personally, in coming to these texts, especially the book of Hebrews in general, general, but particularly with Hebrews 6, I, I have been moved with great fear in my own heart as I think about my sin and as I think about so many things. And I think that, that and as many of you have even come to me and spoke to me in the last few weeks as we've been preaching through Hebrews, yes. God has been working. And what this causes me to do is to examine myself, which is what we do all the time. But particularly when we come together on Sunday mornings and we hear the Word preached and it's put before you the Word of God, then you can make a decision. Yes, I want to listen to this. Or no, I want to do the opposite. I want to go away. But 2 Peter chapter 1, verse 10 says, Therefore, brothers, brothers and sisters, be all the more diligent to confirm your calling and election. For if you practice these qualities, you will never fall. Or 2 Corinthians 13, 5, Paul says to the Corinthians and to us, Examine yourselves to see whether you are in the faith. Test yourselves Or do you not realize this about yourselves, that Jesus Christ is in you? Indeed, unless indeed you fail to meet the test. And then again, 
Some of you have even approached me this last couple weeks with, with the same thoughts and the same questions. And God is using these words for your and our sanctification. So that's the introduction. And so what I want to go ahead and do is give you the... I'm gonna, I've got three questions to answer. I'm going to give them to you and then I'm going to read the passage. And we're going to pray. But here's the questions I want to answer. And I want to give them to you before we read the passage so you can hear them in, in the context. First question, what is apostasy? Second question... To whom are these, these warnings written? And then third, spend a good bit of time here just making comments about this and applying that. So, what is apostasy? Who are these things, these warnings written to? And then let's apply this to our lives. So let me read verses 4 to 12 and then we'll pray and get started. Verse 4, very serious here. For it is impossible, in the case of those who have once been enlightened, who have tasted the heavenly gift, have shared in the Holy Spirit, have tasted the goodness of the Word of God and the powers of the age to come, and then, having fallen away, to restore them again to repentance. That's apostasy. Since they are crucifying once again the Son of God to their own harm and holding Him up to contempt. And then verse 7, he gives an example. For the land that has drunk the rain that often falls on it and produces a crop useful to those for whose sake it is cultivated receives a blessing from God. But if this land, if it bears thorns and thistles, it is worthless and near to being cursed and its end is to be burned up. And then verse 9, the author says, Though we speak in this way, I think that's speaking of these, this warning, particularly here in this context of Hebrews 6, though we speak in this way, yet in your case, beloved, we feel sure of better things, things that belong to salvation. For God is not unjust so as to overlook your work and the love that you have shown for His name, in serving the saints as you still do. And we desire each one of you to show the same earnestness, to have full assurance. We're going to be there next on assurance. That's coming. Having the same earnestness to have the full assurance of hope until the end. So you may not be sluggish, but imitators of those who through faith and patience inherit the promises. Let's pray together. Heavenly Father, help us today, we pray, that Christ may be lifted up, that the gospel may be proclaimed, that the words of this text may fall on ears that hear. Give us eyes to see. Father, I pray that Jesus would, would increase, that we would decrease. In spite of me, I pray that you would work greatly. Help us today, we pray. In Jesus' name, amen. First question, what is the sin of apostasy? These are very serious words we find here in verse, verses 4 to 6. Look, look there with me again in verse 4. He says it is impossible for those who have been enlightened, have tasted the heavenly gift, shared in the Holy Spirit, tasted the goodness of the Word of God and the powers of the age to come, 
and then have fallen away, to restore them again to repentance. I believe he is teaching the doctrine of apostasy, to fall away from Christ, never to return again. I think this is the clear meaning of the words, impossible, very, very clear. Having fallen away, to restore them again to repentance. And again, our example, as we've seen in chapters 3 and 4, particularly of Hebrews, is the, uh, the Hebrew nation there as they come out of Egypt and they're, they're in the desert. And there they are on the edge of the land of Canaan, roughly two years after they had been brought out. And God says, time to go in. There you go. Go in, I will clear them out for you. And, and there's a lot there. And so they send the spies into the land. The spies come back. And, the, and they take the majority of the ten, although Joshua and Caleb say, you know, we can do this. The other ten say, no, they're too big, too powerful. And they say, God, we're not going to do it. No. I still think that's the general example that we're, we're getting because he's writing to the Hebrews. And they rejected God in spite of everything that he had done for them. And then God says, you will not enter the land least now, this generation. You will not enter my rest. In fact, you will perish in the desert. Except for Joshua and Caleb, they go in, and then later on their children go in. And at that time, that particular time, the people realized that they had sinned, and then they tried. They said, okay, Lord, we're going to go up. So they take their weapons, and they go up, and they try to fight those inhabitants that are close by. And what happens? Many of them are killed, and they go off running back into the desert. God was not with them. And I, if we use our context and that example, and we use those folks who perished in the desert, it was impossible after they had fallen away to restore them again to repentance. Now, I know there's a, there's a lot here, but personally, I believe in principle... This is the same as what Jesus will call later on the blasphemy against the Holy Spirit. In Jesus' day, think about Jesus' time. The religious Jewish leaders were coming around Him and all of those. And they saw Him. They saw Him heal the sick. They saw Him bring the lame to walk. They saw Him open the eyes of the blind. They saw Him cast out demons. With authority, they heard Him teach, unlike anybody they had ever heard. And we could go on and on with His miracles and everything that Christ had done. Right in front of their eyes, and they saw them all. And in spite of these things, they still rejected Him. And even in, in, in one case, in, in Mark, they, they attributed these works, all these good works. They said, Jesus, Satan's doing those works through you. I think this is certainly what happened with with. In some way, again, there's a lot of mystery here, brothers and sisters. But with what happened with Judas, who walked with Jesus for three years, and then in the end, he, he sells his soul for those, those pieces of silver. And he had been with Jesus for three years and been in the inner circle. And then he left him. And we know the story there. It's, it's not a very pretty one. I believe the sin of apostasy is a complete falling away, a total abandonment of Christianity. It is a willful turning back 
on God's revealed truth, a complete repudiation of the gospel. First Timothy says, Paul says to him that some of those folks made a shipwreck of their faith. A.W. Pink says this about the sin of apostasy. This terrible sin is not committed by a mere nominal professor. For he has nothing really to fall away from, save an empty name. The class here described are such as had, had their minds enlightened, their consciences stirred, their affections moved to a considerable degree, and yet who were never brought from death unto life. And it is the total renunciation of all distinguishing truths and principles of Christianity. And this is not secretly, but openly, which constitutes apostasy. And then notice what the author says in verse 6 about what this great sin is. Look at verse 6. They are crucifying once again the Son of God to their own harm and holding Him up to contempt. This means that those who commit apostasy and turn away from Christ in this way that we're speaking of are just like those who rejected Jesus and stood by the cross when Jesus was being crucified and they screamed, Crucify Him! Crucify Him! Crucify Him! So in this way, those who do this are standing there beside the cross saying, Again, crucify Him again. Crucify Him again. Holding Him up to contempt. To abandon Christ. And if we think back through Hebrews, brothers and sisters so far, all the things that, that this, this book tells us about who Christ is. He is, He's the radiance of the glory of God, the exact imprint of His nature. He upholds the universe by the word of His power. He, he is, after making purification for sins, we think, even from Sunday school this morning, just God who took on flesh and in the incarnation to do what He did. And to know that God sent John 3.16, He sent His Son. He laid down His life so that we might be saved. Brothers and sisters, we are dead in our trespasses and sins. We cannot save ourselves. And, to, and, and then for God to do this, to send His Son into the world, who's, the world is already condemned according to John 3.17 and 18. He sent his, his Son into the world to save the world. And then for us to say, no, knowing that He has done that, and then to say, no, I, I'm, I, I want to crucify Him again. I'm going to walk away from all of that. God's way in this way is not right. This is what I believe those who do this do. What a frightening description. And I hope that no one in this room ever commits such a thing. So that is the sin of apostasy. So that's the first question. Second question. To whom are these warnings written? And there's a lot of disagreement here. And I, I, may, be, I may be wrong on this. But at the end of the day, I think even with some that I might disagree with, we still fall practically about the same place. But I believe, and I didn't used to believe this, but I believe that these warnings are for Christians. They're for us as we sit here today. And though there are various reasons, I only want to mention two. 
why I believe the book of Hebrews, this warning is for Christians. First reason. First reason. The multiple warnings in the book of Hebrews are addressed to New Covenant believers. Okay, you got your Bibles open? Look with me there for a minute. Okay, look over at chapter 2, verse 1. Again, Hebrews has a number of warnings, okay? I forget how many exactly. There are at least four, maybe five clear sections that speak of warnings, okay? Chapter 2, verse 1 is the first one. Therefore, what's the next word? We must pay much closer attention to what we have heard, lest we drift away from it. There's the first warning. The author is putting himself in that group. That is us, we. Look over at chapter 3, verse 12. And these are for us today. As even as you look at these, consider them in your own life again as we look over them. Chapter 3, verse 12. Take care, brothers. And that's always the plural, brothers and sisters. Take care, brothers and sisters. Lest there be in any of you an evil, unbelieving heart leading you to fall away from the living God. But exhort one another every day as long as it is called today that none of you may be hardened by the deceitfulness of sin. And then it says there, notice what he says, for we have come to share in Christ if indeed we hold our original confidence firm to the end. Okay, look at chapter 4, verse 1. Therefore, while the promise of entering His rest still stands, let us fear. Lest any of you should seem to have failed to reach it. Look at chapter 4, verse 11. Let us, there we are again, us, therefore, strive to enter that rest so that no one may fall by some sort of disobedience. Look at Hebrews 10, verse 26, which, by the way, is very parallel to this particular warning. We'll get there in days to come. For if we go on sinning deliberately, after receiving the knowledge of the truth, there no longer remains a sacrifice for sins. See, he's just saying the same thing in a different way in Hebrews 10. Then look back at chapter 5, verse 11. About this we have much to say, and it is hard to explain. Since you have become dull of hearing, you Christians, Hebrew Christians, we've, we've noted. And finally, chapter 6, verse 1. Therefore, let us leave the elementary doctrine of Christ and go on to maturity. In every one of these cases, these warnings are for Christians. It would seem strange to me, and I don't think I could do this, but it would seem very strange if the author singled out this one warning in Hebrews as to be not Christians. So that's, that's one reason that I believe he's writing to Christians. Second, second reason. The descriptions in verses 4 and 5 seem to be what happens to Christians. And again, I... I could give you guys a lot more this morning, and I've studied a lot, but I'm not going to do it. But, I, but these descriptions seem to be what happens to Christians. And I, again, I believe the author is using Old Testament examples for sure. 
In the Old Testament, in that particular time, in the desert, they were enlightened, probably referring to the fire of God that led them in the desert. They tasted of the manna, fell from heaven. They shared in the Holy Spirit as He worked among them. They certainly tasted the goodness of God's Word, and they had witnessed great miraculous powers. Again, those are the Old Testament examples. But at the same time, I believe the author is speaking to New Covenant Christians. Christians who have experienced those pictures in reality in Christ. All of those things had been fulfilled in Christ. So I believe he's speaking to New Testament Christians, New Covenant Christians. Therefore, to be enlightened, to taste the heavenly gift, to share in the Holy Spirit, to taste the goodness of the Word of God, who is Christ, and also the powers of the age to come, is to be, I believe, a true Christian. Now let's stop for a minute. As you think about what I've just said, from the sin of apostasy, and, you may be, and you're considering what I'm saying, these, these warnings are for Christians, you probably have some questions. You may think, this is, I, I thought this, maybe you think, if the warning of apostasy is given to Christians, then they must be able to fall away. Has that even entered your mind and thought since I've been going through this at all? Or maybe you think this warning is given to a, to a mixed group of professing Christians where the, those who are elect will continue on, but the non-elect fall away. Now, that is, that is certainly true. We'll come to that in a little bit. But again, I, I, I may be wrong, but I see this passage as directed at believers. Here's the key, though. Believers who do not, in the end, commit the sin of apostasy. Which brings us to our last question, where we'll spend the most of our time. That might be more, this, might, this part will be maybe more helpful to us this morning. So how do we apply these warnings? I have some comments, and then I have some applications. So here's my first comment. There will always be a mixed audience for those who hear and respond to the preached word. Um... I would not be so naive to think that everyone who calls themselves a Christian is really a Christian. Um, there will always be that m- mixed audience, people who will, who, will, who will leave and turn away and those who will stay. Think about the parable of the soils. Do you remember? Probably one of Jesus' most prominent, famous parables that taught, pro- teaches probably more than about anything. There were four types of soils, Jesus said. And one soil, of course, the seed is scattered and it's just, it's hard and it just, the wind blows it away and it's gone. But then the other three types of soil, when the seed is sown on the soil, the seed goes down into all three types. Remember? And then a, two of the soils, it, they, they all spring up, all, all three of those. But two of them, they spring up and then what happens to two of them? They fall away. 
when the world, the things of this world, and the persecutions come, and the difficulties, and the things of life that, you know, maybe I would like to have riches, or fame, or something, these things come up and choke them out, two of them fall away, and one is still remaining. And so, we will always have a mixed group. So I'm not saying that, that this, this text doesn't necessarily... I just don't think this text speaks directly to that. And as, as a Baptist, as a New Covenant theologian, as someone who, who believes that only those who are in the New Covenant are believers, that is why I get this interpretation. And so I believe that they are for Christians, but there will always be a mixed audience. Second comment, the sin of apostasy is a real warning with a real danger. As are all the warnings. I mean, why would not all the warnings be the same in Hebrews? They're all warnings of danger. And here are some of the warnings we've seen so far in Hebrews. The people were warned against drifting away. Chapter 2, verse 1. They were warned against neglecting their salvation, chapter 2, verse 3. They were neglecting, or excuse me, they were, they were warned against hardening their hearts, chapter 2, verse 7. Or falling away from the living God, chapter 3, verse 12. And there were other warnings, but these warnings were, are for Christians. These warnings aren't looking back to say, ah, those have fallen away, therefore I'm going to write this about those people. I don't think they are looking back, but they are looking forward. They are prospective, not retrospective. They are exhortations that describe real danger. And I don't think this warning is just hypothetical. Let's think about this for a minute. You're driving down the road, and you see a sign that says, Curvy roads ahead, slow down. Well, what happens if you do not follow that sign? And you go too fast. And you end up down a cliff somewhere, possibly losing your life, or who knows what will happen to you. You obey that sign. Think about parents. Another, I think, a good example. We warn our kids not to run out on the highway. Why? Because they're going to get hit by a car. I mean, they, and so, there's a real danger we're giving to our real children. I think um, of, you know, reading poisonous labels, saying this is poisonous. If it gets in you, you need to call the poison control or, you know, this is going to happen to you. They put them on there for a reason. They're signs. And that's, I think, in the same way, this is what is happening with these warnings. If you're playing near a cliff, what is the best way to keep anyone from getting too close? Putting up... A sign or saying, don't go there, warn you, don't go there. So I think in, in that way, as Christians, we are to take these warnings as real dangers because if we fall away, what are we doing? We're going to crucify Christ again. We're going to be just like right on the side saying, I don't want Him. That's not real. Third comment. These warnings are means that God uses to move us along to godliness, to bring us on to heaven. Let me give an example from Scripture. Thinking about God's means, okay? God uses means to 
accomplish His purposes. Acts 27. Paul is in, in the boat with all the prisoners heading to Rome, okay? He's going there to be tried. And it's quite a long process. And there they are in this big ship, and a storm comes up. And actually, it's not just one storm. It's a continual storm. It's very dangerous. And all of the folks on the boat were thinking, we're going to die, we're going to perish, and they are scared for their life. But Paul stands up in the midst of this storm, and he says to everyone, Take heart, for there will be no loss of life among you, but only for the ship. For this very night there stood before me an angel of God, to whom I belong and whom I worship. And he said to me, Do not be afraid. God has granted all of you who sail on this boat. Okay. Move a little bit forward in the story. The, the storms don't go away during this trip. And a few days later, I don't know, it's probably a week, couple weeks later possibly in the text, storm continues and the sailors are getting really scared now. And so they, what, what, they're, what they want to do is they want to Put down the lifeboats, get in the lifeboats, and leave. And maybe, by chance, get to land or get to some island or something, and then maybe not die. And then as they are starting to do that, then Paul jumps up and he says to the centurions and the soldiers, unless these men stay in this ship, you cannot be saved. Think about that. God has already told him that they will all make it. But here he is, Paul, saying, if this happens, then people are going to be lost. And so what do the centurion and the soldiers do? They cut the ropes, and they all stay in the ship together. Here, Paul had been promised, God had made a promise that none would die. But he, then what does he do, though? He warns them with real danger. And so they listened to his warning. And so I think in the same way as Christians, these warnings are God's means that we hear and we listen and we examine ourselves and we say, I don't want to go there. Okay, those are my comments. Now let's move to some applications. And this, this, this first one, spend a, I'm going to spend a couple minutes, a few minutes here. But here's the first application. There is a tension between the sovereignty of God and human responsibility. Have you ever felt that? All the time. There is a responsibility we have, but yet God is sovereign. An end that God assures does not negate the divinely appointed means to that end. So I'm kind of piggybacking what I just said. In other words, let me make that a little bit more simple. Just because God has decreed something to happen doesn't mean we can neglect our responsibility to use these means. Think about the sovereignty of God and the call of salvation. I think about the election of God upon His people. And the Bible is really clear that God chooses when? Before the foundations of the world. That's secret. That's mysterious. 
but it's clearly taught in the Scriptures. And He predestines Christians to the adoption of Christ. We could go on and on. We could read Romans, Romans 8, 28, 29, and 30. We could read Ephesians 1, all of that. On and on we could go. But at the same time, those whom God has chosen before the foundations of the world, they will not come to Him unless they, they do what? Believe. And if we go further than that, how can they believe, Paul says, and repent and trust in Christ if someone is not physically sent to go to them and preach the gospel and say to them, unless you believe, for God so loved the world, that He gave His only begotten Son, that whoever believes in Him will not what? Perish. It's right before us. Do you, so do you see the tension between divine sovereignty and responsibility? Paul, Jesus, many others, and ourselves. We call on sinners to repent and believe the gospel. Don't we do that? All the time. God's electing purposes from before creation do not invalidate the requirement that sinners must have faith in Christ to be saved. Belief is a condition to be saved, but God through His grace has promised to fulfill that condition. Philippians 1.6, I am sure of this, that He who began a good work in you will bring it to completion at the day of Christ Jesus. Look with me again over at Hebrews chapter 6, verse 9. That's why I wanted to read part of this. The author says, Though we speak in this way, talk about apostasy here, yet in your case, beloved, we feel sure of what? Better things. Things that belong to salvation. Let me give another example. Think about the suffering and temptations of Jesus. Hebrews 5, 8 says, Although He was a son... He learned obedience through what He suffered. As we've seen in Hebrews, He did this without sin. So, my question is, do the moral perfections of Christ make His temptations and His testings void? In other words, if Jesus suffered and He was genuinely tempted to disobey God, does this not imply that it was possible for him to also disobey God? Well, apparently not, according to Hebrews. It was impossible, and I believe very clearly the Bible teaches, possible for Jesus to sin. Yet, his temptations were real, and they were purposeful, that he might be made a merciful high priest to make propitiation for our sins. Here we see divine sovereignty and Responsibility here, intention, they had to be the case. I think the warning text in Hebrews are similar. We are presented with a real danger, and we respond. How do Christians respond? Positively. As a child listens to her parents about the dangers of not getting in the road, so we believe God with healthy fear as we examine our own lives, as, as these warnings come down to us 
in Hebrews and in the rest of the Bible. Just read Deuteronomy this morning, seven or eight chapters, and it was all these warnings and warnings and warnings. If you do this, you will do this. If you do this, you will do this. They're all before us. This means by way of application that we cannot take the continual and unchangeable nature of God's grace for granted and then not respond. You might say, what do I mean by that? Well, what happens? I'm talking to each one of you who's listening to me. What if you stop praying for this week? And you stop praying the next week. You stop praying the next week. What's going to happen? Is God answering your prayers? No. I mean, we, we could go on with that. What, what if we just stop reading our Bibles? Maybe one, you know, you're going along well, 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 and then the next week you... You, you miss a little bit, and you, and you go a little... And then over a period of years, you've gone... You've drifted away. You've, you, you, your ears have gotten dull of hearing. What happens then? Are you receiving? Are you using the means God has given to bring you along? What happens if we shop, stop sharing the gospel? Then we will dwindle down. We will dwindle down as a church... I believe our candlestick will be taken away. But we will not, we're not using the means that God has given. What happens if we turn away from Christ in the end? Well, we've seen that. It's impossible, falling away, renew again into repentance. These are real dangers. And we must take heed to these warnings as Christians. couple more applications. Quickly, I do not believe that this text teaches, which I've already shared, but I don't believe this text teaches that a Christian can lose his or her salvation. I don't believe that. I don't need to recall all of the verses in the Scriptures that teach God will keep His children to the end. They are numerous. And you might say, well, what about Judas? Well, Apostle John, what, is, what, what does he say about Judas, if you remember? Speaking of Judas, particularly the disciples, when, they were, when he, was, he was confronted with, what about Judas who left? He says, this is 1 John 2.19, They went out from us, but they were not of us. For if they had been of us, they would have continued with us. But they went out, that it might become plain that they are all not of us. That could not be, that's really hard to mess that one up as far as thinking what the author is saying there. He's saying there's something going on if he were really one of us, and that goes along with other scriptures that I, that I didn't read today, but I do not believe a Christian can commit apostasy ultimately. Another application. When we think about this passage, and I think this is probably where it comes down to us, and for myself through the years <clears throat> and I think about this passage and I think man that's me maybe maybe I'm in danger of committing well I'm in danger of committing it and, and actually committing it are two different things but but you're thinking wow maybe that's me but and so some Christians might even say I've committed it but that cannot be the case. And the key is this. 
If you are looking unto Christ and believing on Him with a repentant heart, trusting in Him, it goes back to our Sunday school lessons. You know, come unto me, all you who labor and are heavy laden, I'll give you rest. Come unto me. Those who come unto Christ are believing in Him and they're repentant. So you might say, that's me, I've committed the sin. Then you fall into great despair as you think maybe you've fallen away and now it's too late. And I do not believe this speaks of, of backsliding. Oh, because we all have times where we fall. And again, it's a use of language. Falling ultimately away in apostasy, but we have times. We all know it. We all know it. We're times of ups and times of downs. But at the end of the day, if your heart says, I love Christ. I want Him. I believe in Him. My sins are forgiven in Him. You have not committed this and you are not on the road to commit this sin. Because this is, I believe, when we see this, this is God's warning, gracious warning to you that keeps us going. So today, when we leave this place, my hope is that we press on. That we get more godly. That we don't move more and more down the road, drifting away. And that this passage in this text does what it's supposed to do. Because when I think about my own life, if, if I were to forsake my wife, forsake you guys, stop caring about the things of the Bible, and I would care about money, and the things of this world, I'll just be like one of the soils. And if I were to move far and far enough away and to say, you know, that's enough, then, and this is a mystery, I would show that I was not truly one of His in the first place. But may it not be. As the writer says, chapter 6, verse 9, Though we speak in this way, yet in your case, beloved, we feel sure of better things. So, in the same way, we, I as your pastor, we as elders, we feel better, sure of better things. Final application. In the end, Christians bear fruit. Look at verses 7 and 8. They didn't even talk about those. Here's his illustration. For a land that has drunk the rain that often falls on it and produces a crop useful to those for whose sake it is cultivated receives a blessing from God. So there's the, the good crop. The rain is falling down. And then good things are coming up out of the soil. But, and, and here's the thing with verse 8. The rain's still coming down. But if it bears thorns and thistles, it is worthless and near to being cursed. And its end is to be burned. Wow. Christians bear fruit. Huh. This means that, that when we walk out of this place, that that we, do, we, we follow the example of Christ in all things. And we love Him and we, we want to do what He has to say. And, and yes, we sin. But, as we learned this morning, we have an advocate. And our advocate, the Lord Jesus Christ, He is in, the, he's in, the, in that courtroom with us. But He's in the courtroom with us because God took on flesh. And He laid down His life as a sacrifice for sins. And as Hebrews tells us, after making purification for sins. Then what did he do? 
Well, we know that He rose again and now He sits. He passed through the heavens. He sits at the right hand of God. And we have an advocate, one who stands, a lawyer, a helper, who stands in our place and He's right there with us. And so this morning, I will leave us with that. I pray that these warnings, and this warning in particular, will help us, and it will, move on to maturity. Now, there's a lot more we can say, and I know I'm going to get some conversations out of this, outside of this, and I look forward to that. But I, I pray that, the, that this text will do what it's supposed to do, even as it's done in my heart this week, that it will do in your heart as well as you go out of this place. Let's pray together. Heavenly Father, we give thanks. Thank you for this text. Pray that if anything was said was not of you, that we would forget it. Father, help us in, in, in looking at, at these texts and understanding such texts. Father, we, we need your help greatly. Most of all, whether we get certain particulars right or wrong about this text, Father, we know that you are in control and that you have sent your Son. And if we are looking unto Him, faith and repentance, that our sins are forgiven. But help these words to fall upon ears that hear and eyes to see this morning. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Thank you for listening to the Grace Baptist Church podcast. You can listen to past sermons at podbean.com. Search Grace Baptist Church China Grove to find us. You can also find us on Apple Podcast. Search Grace Baptist Church China Grove. You can also join us at the South Rowan YMCA, 950 Kimball Road, China Grove, North Carolina. We meet on Sunday mornings at 930 for fellowship and service starts at 10. Thank you for listening and remember to be intentional in making disciples this week.